The book of Acts tells us what Jesus Christ did through his Holy Spirit and his servants after he went back to heaven. Someone said you can outline the whole book of Acts in three statements. Jesus went up, the Holy Spirit came down, his disciples went out, and people came in. And I think that's probably a pretty good thing. Now, it's a transitional book, and you need to read it as that. It's historical. Most of our doctrine that we get for how to function today is found in the epistles of Romans and 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, Galatians, of course, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, and many of the epistles, even the book of James. Those are, those are tell-us-how-tos. This tells us a little bit what happened. Of course, this is in the early stages of the church. And uh, when Jesus went back to heaven, there were 120 disciples and followers of the Jesus that were with him the day he went uh, back to be with his father. And that's where he's at right now. The Bible says, he ever liveth, making intercession for us. He is seated at the right hand of God, awaiting the opportunity and the orders from the father to come back and get his bride. I'm looking forward to that day, aren't you? looking forward to the day when the Lord Jesus will come, and I'd love for him to come today, maybe after lunch, but uh, I'd like to have him come. I'm looking for him to be in here, and uh, talked to Linda this morning about what we're having for lunch, so I'm looking forward to that first, and then if the Lord wants to come back after that. Those of you who are going to get married this week, and we have a couple getting married, they probably do not want the Lord to come back yet. They want the Lord to let them have some time of marriage first, and we understand that. However, the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, should be on the mind of his people. I had a man named Gilbert Gaylor, who was a good friend of mine years ago, and he would say this to me, and I've heard him say it so many times, I've memorized it. He said, John, great Christians always live with the understanding of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Great Christians are living in, in, in expectation of Jesus' arrival. And I don't know when he's coming back. You don't know when. And if anyone ever tells you, they don't know when either. And uh, if anyone knows the day of the hour, well, that'd be kind of hard because uh, the day of the hour, he comes in maybe a day or hour in a different place in a location around the world. So that would not be a good choice there. But uh, nonetheless, we know that the Father is ready and he has got all things. You say, what's this world coming to? It's coming to the, to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's coming to. And he came the first time like a lamb. He'll come the next time like a lion. Uh, the first time he came, the most uh, frail thing you could come as is a baby. Uh, nothing more vulnerable than a baby. That's how he came. And he lived a perfect life. And he died, died a cruel death. He was buried and he rose again so we could be justified and sanctified and cleaned and ready to, uh, to receive the Lord one day when he comes back with us again. And I'm excited about that. But in the book of Acts, we find here we've come to a great church. Now, it's a great church. It's a good church. I don't know anybody would say this church wasn't a good church. But we'll see problems begin to surface in chapters 5 and 6. And by the way, any time uh, that there is a good church and there is friction, there's going to be problems. And the more people, the more problems. It's just what happened as the church added. It was started with Jesus, his disciples, and 120 when he goes back to heaven. And then a few days later, there's 3,120. And then in chapter 3, there's a man who is crippled, and they walk into the hour of prayer. By the way, that's always a good place to do, is have a time of prayer with brothers. And while they were praying, and they were on the way to prayer time, this man was crippled, and he asked for money. And Peter said, I don't have any money, but I have 
what I have, I'll give you. I believe God wants to heal you. And the Lord Jesus Christ healed him. Peter's hand picked him up. And the guy went leaping and praising God. And everybody knew they walked by him. Thousands of people had walked by him that day and probably on a daily basis. So they knew they could not deny that a miracle was done. But the miracle did not save that man or anybody else that day. But it did give people a, um, an interest. And, of course, the Bible tells us in the book of Corinthians that the Jews require a sign. Gentiles uh, in that day, of course, they hear the word of God. And, that's what, and nowadays, people get saved through the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But especially in those early days, the Jews had been anticipating a Messiah for many, many years and centuries. So they were waiting for the Messiah. And so there were a lot of crackpot messiahs that would come, come say, I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Christ, worship me, follow me. That was common. But the reason that they believed Jesus is because no man can do these miracles that thou doest, the, the signs. So after Jesus went up into heaven, he gave his apostolic following abilities to heal, to speak in unknown tongues, to prophesy, to see an entrance into the eyes and minds of people, and to do supernatural works, especially while they waited for the word of God to come. And so you're going to see, that's why if you get doctrinal uh, uh, issues from the book of Acts, uh, you're going to maybe get a little squirrely on some of your theology, because this is a transitional book, and we need to understand that. But uh, this man gets healed, and then 5,000 more people respond to the gospel. There seems to be a cycle in the book of Acts, and you can remind me of this. I think, number one, you can see prayer is a part of the book of Acts. You can't read the book of Acts without seeing prayer as a priority. Is prayer a priority in your life? Listen, some people just don't want to pray the price. We want to complain. We want to put our stuff out there on Facebook and put it out there on Instagram and tell everybody how hard it is to be us, and we ought to take our burdens to the Lord and leave them there. Prayer is the missing thing. It's, the, it's, it's not always the most exciting things, but it is the most essential things in our life. It should be essential in the church. It should be essential in my life, in your life. I was convicted this morning as I was shaving, thinking about uh, how I need to be sure that I spend more time in effort praying together, not only individually, but with my family and with, our, with my friends, and take our needs to the Lord and pray about them. But you see, prayer is definitely a priority. Number two, from prayer comes power. Little prayer, little power. One of the reasons we're so anemic in our life and what we do and we see so little results is because we do not pour in prayer. Prayer is not everything, the seeds of, of life. And many people are willing to pay. Few people are willing to pray. People are willing to organize. Few people are willing to agonize in prayer. You'll never have the power, and I'll never have the power that we ought to see and that we ought to experience in our life, in our marriages, in our, in our child rearing, in our, in our ministry work, unless we're willing to spend time in prayer with the Lord. You see prayer, you see power. Then power is not just for me to have power, it's for me to proclaim the gospel of Christ. And you shall receive power. After the Holy Ghost will come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. God gives us power large in part so we can tell someone else about the gospel of Christ. When you pray, God's going to give you power. 
When you have power, you're going to preach to people. God's going to give divine appointments so that your life and my life can have an impact on others with the gospel of Christ. And you'll see that if you look at the book of Acts. When the church prayed, there was power, and then they spake. Then they began telling people about Christ. Then something happened. And then that was followed up by something that's not very popular, and that's persecution. You'll see that there was excitement gone on that was negative in nature. Adversarial things begin to happen. Every once in a while you find a Christian say, well, the devil never bothers me. That's because you're not doing anything, Spanky. You know, if you get with it, you'll, you'll probably have a little activity. You start praying, and power comes in your life, and you begin sharing the gospel with other people. The devil's going to you, get your attention. You're going to have some issues. And persecution will come. Aggravation will come. Difficulties will come. How many have ever seen something special coming up, and you get, you get this, this demonic uh, you know, this demonic attack on you when you're getting ready to study for a Sunday school class or there's a big day or before a youth conference or before missions conference. We can almost see, you can see demonic confirmation that something's going to happen here because we got a lot of issues going on here. And we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. And you'll see that. So let's just review that real quickly for our sake this morning. The first thing we see is prayer. And then from prayer comes from power comes preaching or sharing the gospel, proclamation of God's word. And then from that, those three things comes persecution. And you see that. You read the book of Acts, you'll see that. We see here that, the, that Peter and John were arrested and they were, they were hurt, they were threatened. And when they came back together again, we find the chapter 4 ends with Barnabas. An amazing man, we studied a little bit extensively last week, a little bit more so last week on Sunday evening. But Barnabas, uh, it wasn't his real name. His real name was Joseph, but they named him Barnabas because Barnabas means the son of consolation. This guy was an encourager. He made things better. He was a Levite. He was a man full of the Holy Ghost. He, he helped the underdog. He would love people that were unlovely at the time. He would give generously. He would just come to a place and he would make good things. And God used him strategically in the life of Apostle Paul. He used him in the church of Antioch. He used him as a teacher and he used him as the first missionary to go out, sent out of the church of Antioch. He's a very special guy. But he started something. It didn't start because of a requirement. It didn't start because of a rule. It didn't start because of a regulation. It started because he had love in his heart. He saw the needs of the people around him. And he sold some of his possessions. And he gave it to the apostles and said, look, you know the needs of the people. I want to do that. Well, his giving provoked others to give. And by the way, giving people provoke others to give. I love the local church. I was talking about it this morning in our, uh, in our new membership class. If you want to be a member of First Baptist Church, it doesn't make you a member, but it gives you information you need to know. And tonight we'll do it again at 5 o'clock over here uh, by, my, by our office over here on the left-hand side in the second floor. But what we found out real quickly is that God loves his church. And he wants us to join the church and get involved in the local church because, number one, it identifies us with Christ and with his body. Number two, it's a place where we get instructed in the things of God. It's a place where we hear God's word. If you go to a church and no one teaches you the Bible, you get out of that church. It's not a church. A church is a place where you hear God's word. It's a place where you're inspired to obey what you hear. 
You look around, you see other people being involved, you want to get involved. You see other people giving, you want to give. You see other people living holy, you want to live holy. It's a place where you want to involve yourself in prayers and worship. You want to, you want to involve yourself in, in, in ministry and service and fellowship. And it's a place where you want to invest your time, your talents, your energy. Well, the church is moving on here, and Barnabas is given substantially to the house of God, and it became popular. Other people were doing the same thing. But then this little couple, I don't know if they're older or younger. I would assume they're a little bit older because they had property, and they sold it. His name was Ananias. Her name was Sapphira. And we see here real fellowship shown, and now we see a religious fraud that's shown. And God's going to show up with discipline. Because one thing God wants in his church, he wants sincerity. He wants purity. What they gave to the church is not necessarily important. How much they gave is not important. But they pretended to give something that they held back that was a lie. It was hypocrisy. Nothing quite aggravates someone else in the world and in our families quite like hypocrisy. Someone who's acting. Someone who does one thing and says another thing, or says one thing and does another thing. And we find here's a story of the early church, and in this good church, sin surfaces. And in First Baptist Church of Hammond, there's sin here. There's been sin in my heart. There's been sin in your heart. As I studied this this week, I remember where I was this week when I read this passage of Scripture, and the Spirit of God put to my mind a situation where I told someone something that wasn't a full truth. I got on my knees, and I said, Lord, please forgive me. That's not right. I need to go back and correct that. I correct it with you in confession now, and I'm going to find the people I spoke to about that. It wasn't a huge thing, but it was big enough for God to speak to me about. I don't know about you, but if God talks to me, I'd like to talk back to him. If he points out his sin, I want to confess it. I don't want to say, ah, that's not a big deal. If it's a big deal to God to talk to me about, it should be a big deal to me to talk to him about. And the Bible says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to. If we cover our sin, we're not going to prosper. But if we'll confess and forsake our sin, we'll have mercy. I know that God spoke to my heart. I said, I said, Lord, I'm getting ready to talk about this, but I want to deal with this right now and get this corrected. I don't want to exaggerate something that's not true. I don't want to say something that's not accurate. I've done that many times, and I'm sure that anybody who talks, you talk and say things you shouldn't say and exaggerate things, but if God speaks to my heart about it, I want to deal with it. I did it again this morning. I said, Lord, is there anything else that you know that I've said I need to correct? I want to correct those things. Because God is a God of purity. He's a God of holiness. He's a God of sincerity. He wants to bless your life. He wants to bless my life. He wants to bless his church. But here we find he was very serious with this couple. And there were some things. We find discipline. We find the deity of Christ. And we find a dedication after it got dealt with. Let's look at it real quickly. We can please. Chapter 5, verse number 1. And you see in verse 37 of chapter 4, having land sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So, so Joseph did this, Barnabas did it, and now, but a certain man named Ananias, and with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession too. They, they, had, some, they had something that they sold. I don't know if it's, if it's property. I don't know if it was a, a chariot or a couple of horses. I don't know, but they had a possession 
and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought certain part and laid it to the apostles' feet. So whatever they had, whatever their property was, they sold it. They got X amount of dollars. We'll just say this morning that they got $1,000 for it. And just for sake of illustration, it's not what the Bible doesn't tell us. It's not important. But just for sake of illustration, it said they got $1,000 for these couple horses they sold or this property they sold. And they came and they brought $700. And they said, we've sold property. We got $700 for it. We want to give it so that God can use it to bless our work. And that wasn't wrong for them to bring 700 of 1,000. It wouldn't be wrong if they gave 100 of 1,000. But the problem is they made as though that was the whole amount. They sold their property for 700, and they gave 700. But it was a little lie going on between Ananias, Sapphira, and they thought they were lying among themselves, but they found out real quickly they were lying to the Holy Ghost. They were lying to the body of Christ. So the Bible tells us what happens. Look, if you would please, at verse number 3. And Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? So somewhere along the line, Pastor Peter and Ananias meet each other, and he said, man, why have you succumbed to satanic influence to lie? Remember, Jesus is the way the... And Satan is the father of, he is a liar, he's a father of liars. He said, what in the world have you done this? You've let Satan get into you and begin to provoke you to, to lie against the Holy Ghost. You see, verse 4, while it remained, was it not thine own? While you didn't sell it, was it yours? And after you sold it, was it not your own power? You could have done whatever you want to do with it. Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine where? Heart. Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto who? By the way, is Jesus God according to the Bible? Yes. Is the Holy Spirit God? Here's another place of deity, the Holy Spirit. He said, you've lied to the Holy Spirit, you've lied to God. So you can draw a line, I put circle of God, and I draw a line up to the Holy Spirit, because we see evidence that the Holy Spirit is God. Verse number five, and Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. I don't think anybody was more shocked than Peter was. I think Peter thought he was probably doing a little reprimand, and before you know it, Ananias is on the floor, lifeless, and he's gone. And uh, realizing real quickly, I don't think that Peter, he didn't strike him dead. It wasn't Peter's words. It was Peter's words that confronted uh, the sin, but it was not Peter's power that killed him. It was God's power. It dealt with him. By the way, if you think for a moment you can get by with something, uh, you can. And I'm not saying you're going to be struck dead. I'm just telling you there's a lot of things that happen. I do believe there's a sin unto death. I believe there's a time and a place in a Christian's life when God says enough's enough. My spirit's not going to strive with you. You've made a, a bad testimony of yourself long enough. I've already talked to talk to you. I think I've attended services for people that they're saved. I'll see them again in heaven. I believe they're just as saved as the Apostle Paul. I don't know anybody's salvation for sure, but I would assume. I believe I saw the, the, the Spirit of God in them, and I saw conviction. I saw passion to serve the Lord, but I saw them also get away from God and really give them a bad black eye in the community. And I saw God peeling them back and trying to appeal for their return, and then it seems like they just snubbed God. 
and I saw that God took them away. I believe that happens sometimes. It's not my judgment, but I'm, sometimes it makes me make scratch head. By the way, I don't want to be there. <laughs> I'd like to finish all of us all the way looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing. I hope all of us can say I finished my course. I've kept the faith. I, I've done what God wanted me to do all the way to the end. I was preaching a funeral this week for Miss Joyce Humphreys. Beautiful testimony of a lady. Not perfect, but got saved in a Sunday school class. Years ago as a teenager, met her husband. They helped start a church up in Wisconsin. Moved here in 76, went to Bible college, taught for Christian schools for 26, 27 years. But someone who just decided, you know what, I'm all in. I'll keep serving the Lord. And so many people gave testimony of that. Last week, she wasn't going to be in the service on Sunday. She insisted her son. She said, honey, I've already filled out my offering envelope. I've already given my faith promise to the missions. I'm probably not going to be here on Sunday. I'll be watching from heaven. But you go get the offering envelope and you take it and you make sure it goes in the offering. On my first Sunday in heaven, I want my offering that I've already given to be put in the offering. Well, as I think about that, I think, man, thank God. Thank God she finished strong. She went all the way. Some people don't go all the way. And then as far as her examples of people who didn't go all the way. They let possessions, they let uh, the desire for stuff keep them from doing that. Nonetheless, he passed away right there in the assembly. Now, verse number six. And the young men arose and wounded, arose, wound him up and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not, know, not knowing what was done, she didn't know that her husband was in heaven, she came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, uh, for so much. Yeah, it was the $700, yeah. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. And she fell I'm sorry, then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And young men came in and found her dead and carried her forth and buried her by her husband. And a great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Would you read verse 13 with me, everyone, and nice and loud? Are you ready? And of the rest, that word magnified means to respect. Verse 14 says, and the believers were more added to the church, to the Lord. Multitudes, both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick in the streets and laid them in the beds and couches, that the less, at, least, at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them, of course, an early church apostolic uh, presence there. I want to just say a couple things real quickly in closing. When you think about the story, I would love to get a big classroom and just talk about it for a few moments. Find out what Dr. Eclair thinks about it, what Jerry Sagoni thinks about it, or what Brother Zaris thinks about it, or uh, what you might think about it. I think it'd be fun. I think it'd be a great, a great thing. But I want to ask you a couple things to consider. Number one, I want you to understand the importance of honesty, the importance of truth, the importance of purity. 
God wants there to be a pure church. Can I ask you something? Are you pure? Our church is as pure as you are. Our church is as honest as you're honest. Our church is as giving as you are a giver. Our church is is as passionate about soul winning as you are. We're as good of a model as you are. There's a couple here that we find find had some issues. I want to encourage you, make sure that your life is pure. The church is not a building. It's people. It's a called out assembly that have been added to the Lord's work. And you and I need to be right with the Lord. And I think you say, Pastor, I'll take my chances. You can do that. I had a, someone the other day tell me this, this, excuse me, not the other day, it's been probably several months ago. When confronted with a decision they knew that was not biblical, here's what they said. I've calculated my consequences. I know, what, I know it's not right. I know what I'm going to do is not what I should do. I know God tells me not to do it, but I have calculated my consequences, and I'm going to go ahead and do what I've decided to do. Boy, that's dangerous. That just borders on idiocy, if that's a word. I don't know if it's a word. But I, I say, man, goodness, no, you cannot possibly calculate what's going to happen to those two children. You cannot possibly Calculate what's going to happen to the testimony of Christ. You cannot possibly calculate what you will do with this compromise and continue to compromise. You cannot. Don't let Satan's voice enter your heart and conceive such a matter that would be a lie against the Holy Ghost. If God speaks to you about something about purity, be pure. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's a white lie or if it's a black lie. I don't care if it's something that you, that you say, well, it just doesn't matter. I have no conviction about that. What you need to ask about is not whether you have conviction. Does God's spirit have conviction about that? Does the word of God say anything about that? I was talking to Brother Abdel Judah. He's not here today. He's on vacation. But I thought about this thing, several things that they carried out that day with Ananias and Sapphira. When the young men who were strengthened were asked to come and pick up a dead body and wrap him up and go and dig a grave and set him inside the grave and three hours later wrap up his wife and do the same thing. There are several things that happened, but there are several things went out that day. Number one, an encounter with God. They knew this was not Peter, this was not James, it was not John, it was God. They, they left with, a, with an encounter with God. I think they took out something else in the as far as they took out hypocrisy. The temptation to go ahead and just continue and press on in, in doing what you want to do when you know the Holy Ghost has spoken to you. Trying to lie against the Holy Ghost and to lie against his church family. They took out hypocrisy there. They took out a bad partnership. It's just sad to me that two people got together in the same lie. Bad partners. They both got buried together. I think they took something else out of church. They took out, the fear, took out with the fear of God. And a reminder, look, you know what? I think we better behave ourselves. The early church had problems, and we got problems here. I want to make sure that we are asking God, Lord, if there's something inside of me you don't like, if it's big to you, it's big to me. And I want to encourage you to confess it, to admit it, and quit it. Don't try to cover it. Confess it. And say, And you don't have to confess it to me. I don't need to hear about it. You need to confess it to the Lord. 
say, God, I'm going to trust your, your help. Because our church, what kind of church would our church be if every member were just like me, were just like you? Would we be a pure church? Would we be a clean church? I think it's important to God. He put it in the Bible to share with us. And then after this was dealt with, the unsaved people weren't real quick to run in there and say, I want to join up. They're like, hang on a second. This is serious. But the Lord did bring other people to get saved, to get baptized. And God magnified that, that church and, and respected in the community because of their purity. Because purity is powerful. The wicked flee when no man pursue it, but the righteous are bold as a lion. God wants a pure church. That means he wants a pure me. He wants a pure you. Are you pure? In your motives? In your morals? Are you messing around with someone that's not your spouse? Are you looking at things you shouldn't listen, look at? Are you listening to things you shouldn't listen to? Have you convinced yourself that God's good with it? Oh, I've already talked to God. We know. We have an understanding. No, you don't. It's either right or it's wrong, and God's Spirit talked to it, and let's open up and let's, do it. let's get right. I think God is working this morning. Is he working in you? If he is, speak back to him in words of confession and repentance. Let's be a church that God can honor. Let's don't let have God have to deal with us. I don't know about you. When God deals with me, I don't want him to have to yell. I want him to speak to me in a still, small voice, and I'll say, I got it. I'm with it. I don't need you have to get the paddle out. I don't need you have to get the, get, get, bust my bottom. Just talk to me. He said he wants to direct you by his eye. Don't make him, don't, don't make him come after you. But let's be sure that we're pure.